Hello and welcome to the Fisherman's Post Saltwater Podcast Series. My name is Gary Hurley, owner of Fisherman's Post. Since 2003, Fisherman's Post has been bringing you the fishing newspaper, fishing website, events, fishing tournaments, fishing schools. And now in a new chapter, we're bringing you the Saltwater Podcast Series. We are talking to local captains and guides, getting them to share their knowledge to help you find and catch more fish more often along the North Carolina coast. This is episode three, and we will be talking to Captain Mike Opegard of Native Sun Guide Fishing out of Topsail. Uh, the topic today will be early season redfish on topwaters. Mike is going to be giving an introductory lesson for someone who's always been curious about topwaters and how to, you know, how to find that first topwater fish or those early topwater fish. But then he's also going to go into some more detail to help the more intermediate angler fine-tune their skills about landing more redfish more often on topwaters. Um, I'm joined, as always, with my partner Billy Thorpe of Thorpe Creative. What's up, Gary? How are you? I'm doing great today. Man, another episode. Here we go. Episode number three. Doing this well. is episode number three. But I'm going to call it the first episode with our catchy theme song. It is very, yeah, it's great, isn't it? I've been singing it all week. <coughs> wow, I didn't even see you clear your throat right then. That was a ventriloquist <laughs> trick right there. I didn't know you had that skill. Uh, yeah, it's, you know, it's part of it's a part of uh, the, the TV personality stuff. I like it. Yeah, man, it's, it's uh, pretty good. Well, I'm going to run through a couple things really quick. Uh, <laughs> and there you go, clear my throat again. <laughs> At that time, you probably saw it. Um, but anyway, I want to, to run over real quick. How do you get our episodes? Because um, they're they're available in more places than just on YouTube or Facebook or whatever. But Instagram, so IGTV, uh, Facebook, like I mentioned, YouTube, like I mentioned. Be sure to subscribe to those channels if you haven't already. But also, there's the audio podcast on Apple podcast spotify stitcher google play music and basically anywhere you can find it if you can't find it let us know and we'll make sure it's on there uh and also while i'm doing a little cleanup or not cleanup like a little housework here i want to shout out to Cito. uh this episode is made possible by Cito. Uh, reach out to Cito scott there on instagram uh just an amazing company uh that uh, you know does a lot of stuff in the fishing world so really enjoy those guys gary i think you had something you wanted to say about Cito, didn't you well, I was just thinking that uh, if Cito didn't know they were a sponsor, then maybe when the invoice comes in the mail, they'll know they're a sponsor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's perfect, man. That's uh, I'm going to start doing that in my business, too. Oh, you didn't order the thousand shirts? I thought you did. Here's the invoice. <laughs> All right, man. I'm going to do one more thing here, and then we're going to get into this episode. Uh, and we are doing a photo of the week. So here is the photo of the week. This is actually the junior angler that we talked about in the last episode. Uh, so this is Andy Hodges with his grandson, Palmer, uh, with their first puppy drum. So, yeah, it was caught near topsail using live bait. So pretty good, uh, pretty good looking, looking kid right there with the, with the fish. So you see the number on the screen, text your photos or your videos. Uh, just got our first video in, so I was pretty excited about that one. Yeah, man, I like it. I like Palmer as the start. Yeah, it's the very yeah. I got a I got a little son, so hopefully I can get one of those with him pretty soon. Well, I'm going to bring up our guest. I'm going to introduce our guest today. I've always already mentioned it. 
We will be talking about early season redfish on topwaters with Captain Mike Opegard. Um, Mike, how you doing? I'm doing good, guys. How are you guys doing? Um, we are doing real well. We're excited to talk about this. We know that topwater fishing is very popular for multiple reasons, and we're looking forward to you like both getting us introduced to it as well as getting a little bit more advanced. However, we have a little feature here with the Saltwater Podcast Series. It's, I, for lack of a better name, it's called Two Questions. So we've got two questions for you just to help get to know you a little bit better before we get into the day's material. Now, it happens that these two questions are not fishing related. So as soon as you tell me you're ready for two questions, Mike, I'm going to continue. Let it shoot. All right. So, Mike, we, we sort of consider you something of an intellectual fishing guide. You are heady, oh, cerebral, you know, have a pretty good vocabulary. As per I saw in the outline you sent in, that is some better vocabulary in the outline. And so it got me thinking, <laughs> I wonder how Mike's vocabulary compares with my teenage boys, my teenage boys. So I asked them to give me a couple of vocabulary words to ask you today. So, Mike, if while you were giving us some information on air, I were to interrupt and say, that's cap, what would I mean? That's cap? Yep. Hmm. Top information on top of the head, right on spot. That is a great guess. It is a wrong guess. <laughs> well, <laughs> it would mean don't, Gary, me I don't have teenage boys. I couldn't tell you what the hell they're thinking now, to be honest. Billy, you know what cap is? No, I have no idea. I would be saying that's bunk. That's you're lying. I don't believe you. <laughs> <laughs> For someone who can't turn on their Facebook page, I'm pretty impressed, Gary, with all these right? words. Yeah, I'm, no, I'm no. current. I'm relevant. Yeah. Hey, he wasn't had one having you problems using Skype, that's for sure. <laughs> well, that's true. Question number two, vocabulary word for my two teenage boys. If while you're giving us information on air, I were to interrupt and say, man, you got the drip or you're dripping, what do I mean? Uh, hmm. Imparting knowledge. That again is a good guess. That is incorrect. <laughs> Billy? I reckon I'm getting to the age to where I have less hair and I'm just not that hip anymore. Huh? You are not. That is, we are definitely well, that's determined just, That's that. the way it happens, you know? Billy, that strip? Oh, uh, let's see. I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> More impressively, the cool sound I was going to say... <laughs> It would mean you're very fashionable. You're looking good, oh, maybe right. even sexy in how you appear. So I think the good news is I am not going to interrupt you during the podcast and say, man, you're dripping. And I hope I don't interrupt the podcast by saying that's cap. I hope you're giving us good information. I'll have to call you out on. We will. We'll try. Well, Mike, bring us right in. Bring us to topic. Um, I think we're going to begin with winter versus spring moons. I think you're going to tell us about how those red drum pattern as they move into this time frame, you know, late April, May, where we're going to be targeting them on top water. Send us off, Mike. Well, you know, first thing we need to talk about is why top water. And to me, the most important thing about top water is, first and foremost, it's the most fun you can have to catch a fish. Um, I love to topwater fish. I've always loved to topwater fish. Um, there's something about watching that fish come up out of the surface and really slap that plug. You know, when you're talking about red drum, you're talking about a fish that has an inferior mouth. So the, the mouth is actually pointing down. 
So a lot of times they'll either come out of the water slightly to hit it, or they'll come up underneath it, turn slightly, and swipe at it. Either way, you've got these great strikes, and you know good and well that that fish is just fired up and ready to eat. So the first thing about topwater is fun. The second thing about topwater, and I'm going to get into this a little bit later, is how to cover ground with topwater. You know, topwater is one of those lures that really, you know, is a heavier bait. You can throw it further. You can throw it further in the wind. And you can really effectively cover water with it. And, you know, okay, you may not catch that fish that blew up, but you may say, okay, well, wait a minute. That tells me I've got a group of fish around. I need to slow down and actually kind of work a little bit more patiently, try to search a little bit more. I've got fish in the area. They just told me, hey, we're here. I've got to figure out why I can't get them to bite. Or, you know, maybe I can get them to bite by throwing a topwater again. But that's, that's the real reason for topwater. You know, in spring, you know, it's kind of uh, we come out of winter, we come out of the cold areas, and the water's starting to warm up. We've got some bait in the water. We don't have our, you know, obviously we don't have our run of mullet yet. Um, we've got some small pogies in the water. We're starting to see a little bit of pinfish here and there. Obviously, we've got crabs in the water, and we all know that Durham love crabs. Um, and we've got like a silver side, a glass minnow. You know, we can bunch them all together, whatever you want to call them, those little, you know, three-inch or so clear glass minnows. Um, so those fish have been kind of sitting out in the surf, at least the bigger fish have been sitting out in the surf, you know, since the weather got cold. I think they kind of go out of there for a little bit of thermal protection. They go out there for a little bit of um, – Safety in numbers, obviously, you know, porpoises are a big thing for drum. They're always scared of them. So, hey, now it's the time that maybe they can kind of hide a little bit better, you know, group up together out in the surf. Um, so now they're coming out, you know, they're going to start kind of working their way back in the creeks. We've had drum in the creeks, in the main structures all winter. Um, those are kind of a different school and a different class of fish. You do find some bigger drum, let's say that 24-inch to 26-inch drum, hanging out on the docks. But a lot of times what you're going to see is those bigger upper slot drum coming in from the surf. Um, obviously, what I'm going to talk about today is not the thing to fish around docks. Um, we all know docks and structure right now is holding a lot of those smaller fish, those fish that have schooled up all winter and just hung out together. You can find those fish off the dock a little bit. And by off the dock, you know, that may just be two or feet or so. And you can kind of approach them of top order if you can get them really fired off and eating. But a lot of times when I look at dock, you know, you're usually talking about a soft plastic situation. You know, with younger kids, you're talking about bait. Um, so what we're going to talk about here is top order and where I look for top order and what I do. Um, first thing you want to think about is where are the fish and what kind of station are they holding? And by station, what I'm saying is, is let's call those docks and everything one station. And then let's call oyster points, uh, the slack water side of a marsh point, uh, maybe even a deep hole where you've got some thin marsh dripping into it, you know, on an outgoing tide. You know, that water may rush up on the tide and wash up on the tide. It may rush up on the marsh, warm up a little bit midday, and then as it drops off, those fish may come back 
kind of not quite in the deep water, but not necessarily in the super shallow water. And so what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to approach my thinking is to, okay, I'm looking to target fish. They're in those schools. They're not quite what we've called broken up yet. You know, in the summertime, when I think of schools of drum, I'm thinking, you know, five, 10 fish, you know, here we may have 20 to 30. Um, we may have some of those bigger fish that have kind of segregated themselves for whatever reason, you know, I wish I was a better biologist and could tell you why, but you know, some of those bigger fish may have segregated themselves and, you know, now you've got maybe, you know, a school of seven or eight or maybe even 10. And so I'm going to look for those fish. Okay. One of the first things I'm going to do looking for those fish is I'm going to say, Hey, what's my water temp? Um, I want to know what my water temp is because for me, I've caught fish on top water down to 50, but really and truly, once we get up into that mid 60 level and a little bit higher, um, now you're starting to really kind of key on top water. Um, obviously in the summertime, heat of the day, probably not time to fish top water. You know, top water then is more of a morning or a late evening or even a dark thing that we can talk about one day. Um, Right now, though, I'm looking at those fish in those holding stations. I want to know kind of, you know, hey, am I – today is cold and blustery. I'm looking out the window now, and, you know, it may not be the day to fish top water in the early spring. In the late spring, in the, in the you know, early summer, kind of a cold, blustery day is not a bad thing to go fish top water. Um, so what we're going to talk about there is I want to go find those stations. I want to know where my fish are. I'm going to go in a creek. I wish I had had a little board here I could draw with, so I'm going to try to explain it to you a little bit better. But I've got two types of, of top water baits that I'm going to talk about, and I'm going to put them in two groups. One of them is going to be search baits, and the other is going to be finesse baits. And what I look at it for is search baits is those are those days where the wind's blowing, it's kind of nasty, you know, it may not be dead calm. I want something I can throw into the wind, throw far, makes noise, and really kind of brings fish to the bait. Finesse baits are kind of a, a little thing I came up with this past year, and it's more of a, it's a top water bait, but it's got some finesse to it for one reason or the other. And I'm going to highlight those, and let's jump on into those right now. The first, uh, and I'm going to call it a finesse bait. You're going to probably hear people disagree with me or everything. So you do have a good vocabulary. I do have what? You do have a good vocabulary. Oh, yeah. How about that? <laughs> the first one I'm going to talk about is this is a papa mullet. And I know you guys are on the podcast. We were talking about that. So papa mullet is the MR87, Miralure 87. And it's got this big wide, and I'll see if I can get that there on camera. It's got this big wide mouth to it. And uh, what it does is it throws water and it makes a lot of noise. And you go, well, gosh, that really doesn't seem like much of a finesse bait. Well, the reason I call it a finesse bait is I can take it and throw it next to those points or those fish holding stations that I may find. You know, I may go in a creek and go, you know, there's a bank of oyster shells here on my right hand side. And right now they're covered in a foot and a half, two foot of water. You know, later on in the spring, I'll see bait going down that bank. And if that bait looks nervous, if that bait's going down the bank and wants to come off the bank a little bit, 
then that tells me, hey, there might be something there against the bank. I'm going to want a key on that bank. This time of year, I'm just looking at the fact that, you know, I've got oysters there. I've got some darker bottom there. I'm going to want to just prospect for some fish. Well, in that shallower water, sometimes throwing a big plug, and this is a big plug, probably not the best example. But what I can do there is I throw it out and just gently pop, 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 and let it sit. And I don't know if you can hear. It's got a really good rattle to it. Gary, can you hear that? I mean, it's got a really good rattle to it. It makes a loud thump, thump, thump. And I can kind of sit that and work it maybe, work, work, pause. And I'm not working it like I would a traditional top water bait where it's, you know, pop, 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 pop all the way back to the boat. So, you know, that's kind of one of my first little, what I'm going to call a finesse bait. And we'll come back to those. The other one I want to talk about is, you know, kind of the similar vein. Uh, it's the Miralua prop bait, and it is called the MR-10. And... Um, the cool thing about the MR-10 is that, uh, and of course they're going to stick in my bags here. The real cool thing about the MR-10 is it's got this little prop on it. And, you know, it, it basically it's a bass bait. You know, it's, it spins like this. It does all that cool stuff. Um, again, my thinking, a reason I'm kind of calling this a finesse bait is I can throw this, again, let's say we're fishing an oyster bank on our right-hand side. Tide's coming in. I can throw this on my left side as far as I want to and let the current swing it back to the bank. And as it swings into the bank, I can just gently tap, tap, tap. Well, this prop is going to make some noise. There you go. Let me put it back in. This prop is going to make some noise, but it's not necessarily loud like the poppers. It's not necessarily loud like I would say a, a top dog or a she dog. So for me, that's the thing that I like to do. You know, that's another one of those baits that I really like a lot, and I'm calling it a finesse bait. Really, when I want to be real sneaky, is this little bait right here. It's called the Mirror Mullet. Now, this is a three-and-a-half-inch version, and I think my number on that is 26, an MR26. And one of the reasons I like this bait is it doesn't splash when it hits the water. You know, it's kind of a light bait. So, again, we're talking about, you know, let's say we've got those drums sitting on the oysters on my right-hand side, and I pull it into the creek, and I want to, you know, try to fish those. Well, a lot of times this time of year, when they do slide up on the bank, they're kind of spooky. I mean, you know, it would make sense that they'd be spooky because, hey, you know, they're not in four or five foot of water. They're in, you know, maybe two foot, a foot and a half, maybe even less. But this, to me, is the epitome of what I would consider a finesse bait. While the prop bait and the papa mullet aren't necessarily finessey, uh, my point to kind of introduce them in my finesse baits was to point out that, you know, there's a lot of topwater baits out there that you can work that aren't necessarily your traditional thump, 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 thump. And you can actually kind of change your cadence, you know, use the current to your advantage and maybe make things a little bit slower, a little bit easier. And it kind of works out real well. So I've talked about finesse baits. I wanted to kind of just throw out a couple there that, you know, you guys really probably haven't thought about as a finesse bait. And, of course, my dog is now sniffing my uh, baits. Gary, you got any questions? No, man, I follow that along. I, I like it. I like the options. I like, you know, a big chug chug. I like, you know, more of the spinner presentation than the real stealth. I mean, I think that makes sense just to have some choices in your tackle box. I know the 
tackle shops like what you're saying right now to for the angler to have more choices in their tackle box. <laughs> but I, I yeah, see I the application. You, Coastal in Texas loves you right now. Yes, I'm well aware of that. No, man. I, I mean, the, um, take us on to the next category. All right, so the next category, I'm going to go and I'm going to cover what I consider to be kind of my everyday baits. All right, and I'm going to go big and, and, and then kind of work my way down. And the first bait I'm going to start with is just the good old-fashioned top dog. This was one of the first top orders that Mirror came out with. Let me move my hand there so you can see it a little bit better. You know, this bait is a really great bait. It's, you know, three quarters of an ounce. It makes a good, loud click. And, you know, when you guys talk about traditional top order fishing, what you might want to call traditional top order fishing, you know, this was kind of one of the first ones that came out and really kind of set the bar. Um, way back when, you know, a lot of us weren't necessarily drum fishermen. You know, all the true fishermen, quote unquote, that I know were um, trout fishermen. And so, you know, we were all throwing, you know, the MR-52s, the 53s, the 51s, you know, those good old, the TT, what is it, TT-11s, you know, those traditional trout baits. And this kind of really has that same mullet kind of profile, except it throws a country mile. And at three quarters of an ounce, it really throws hard. And one of the reasons why I call these a search bait is, if I'm going somewhere where I haven't fished before and I'm trying to find where I might encounter a pocket of fish, I got two things against me. A, I don't know where I am. And B, I'm going to make noise. So with a big search bait like that that I can throw a long distance, I can try to get as much action as possible away from the boat. You know, try to get it away from the noise. Kind of let's, you know... Although it's, I wouldn't call it a sneaky bait, I'm still creating action on the water away from the bait, and hopefully what will happen is those fish will see the bait and show themselves. Whether I catch them or not, like I was saying earlier, hey, at least I know, okay, wait, I got a fish here. Chances are I've got more fish around. I need to slow down, take my time, and look. So for me, something like that big top dog is a great search bait, and that's what I'm using it for. What I want to do is I want to use it, you know, pop, pop, pop. And the best way I know to describe that is, is a pop, 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 which it doesn't make a pop, pop. It makes more of a tick, tick. But I've always, you know, when I've got clients on the boat and I'm trying to tell them what I want is, is you're going to reel it tight and you're going to twitch your rod, pop, pop, pop. And when I, you do that, that bait is going to go one side and it's going to go the other side and then it's going to go the other side and you're going to pause. And you're going to stop and let it sit. Then you're going to do it again. Pop, pop, pop. And what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to imitate that mullet running down the bank. You know how, <coughs> excuse me, you know how sometimes you'll see those mullet running down the bank. They'll get to a certain point. And they'll kind of just slow down for a second and then keep running. And, you know, we're trying to imitate the mullet in this scenario. So those are a great, what I would consider to be a search bait extraordinaire I, I mean they're heavy they throw into the wind um you know that, that's probably something we'll talk about here in a second when i get to some of the she dogs you know you got to remember sometimes you're going to want a bait that doesn't make a lot of thump and then sometimes you're going to want a bait that really makes a racket because hey you know we all have days where 
it's the day we got to go and the wind's blowing 20 knots. What do you do? Well, you try to find something that will draw fish to you as you know quickly and easily as possible. So in that vein, the next one I'm going to talk about is the 85 MR, which is real similar to the top dog, with the main exception being is that it's not quite as heavy. Um, this is the what's called the top pro junior, the top, I got it written down over here. You know, this is what's the top dog junior. Actually, this is the pro dog junior, sorry. And the reason it's called the pro dog is if you look at it real good, you can see it's got some, you know, holographic in there and it's kind of clear and got a scale to it. And, um, oh yeah, real quick, look at my hooks, everybody. And, you know, those guys are you on podcast, you can't see that. Um, I keep a lot of baits in my tackle box. Obviously, I need a lot of baits. Those of you guys that have fished with Gary, you know he goes through a lot of tackle. <laughs> um, so one of the things you ought to do is really go ahead and take, you know, a teeny, teeny, smallest rubber band you can get, you know, you know like almost an orthodontist, you know, those kind of rubber bands for braces. And what I do is I peg, I peg my, uh, let me move back so I can get a good shot of it. Yeah. I peg my uh, treble hooks there at the bottom with a rubber band. So now I don't have treble hooks swinging. So when I start laying baits in the box, you know, instead of having treble hooks swinging around and catching everything, they're tucked into the belly. And that really helps a lot keeping your tackle box organized. I wasn't even thinking about that when I was writing everything out, but that's a great thing. So we got the top prop here. This sorry, the C Pro Junior, um, kind of the same thing. A heavy search bait. Um, I kind of like these a little more than the top dogs. Um, I think the finish on them is kind of neat. Um, it's been a real good thing. Uh, I, I really like them. It, it, it's a great little bait to work. Um, and then finally, you know, as we're coming down that, we're gonna come to probably my favorite bait. Um, if I had to fish one top water bait and I could only fish one, it would be this right here. It would be the top pup. The top pup to me is the best top water bait ever invented. You know, it's about a three, three and a half inch profile. And it just looks like a finger mutt we get all the time. And it's not super, super loud. I'm trying to get that to come through the phone. I don't know if that'll go. Yeah, man. It you know, is. it's got this big kind of just a light thump, thump, thump. And it's just the perfect size for me, really and truly. It's my favorite top water bait. And I think, you know, anybody who's fished with me on the boat knows that there's always a couple of these tied on in, you know, when we're in shore. You know, it may be that. I'm using it as a search bait. You know, my clients are sitting somewhere and are throwing soft plastic and we're not maybe seeing the fish I thought we should see. And, you know, I may pull a top order out and kind of cast around just to see, you know, hey, are we, you know, 30 feet, 40 feet from the fish and we just can't see them? What's going on here? Um, these are a great bait just to kind of work. Um, the other thing I like, you know, is... I think with these baits, really, they take a good tuning. And what I'm, what I talk about when I talk about tuning is that 
I can take the standard hook, and, and these actually are, are new out of the box, so they have the standard hook on them, right? And, and I can go in and put in a 3X heavy and maybe go in and put in a 3X heavy upsize. So in other words, instead of throwing a 4, I may be throwing a 2. And my reason for that is, is remember at the beginning, you know, we were talking about how that drum has an inferior mouth. Well, if you can add just a little weight to it to make that bait sit lower in the water level, you know, it's still on the top of the surface, but it's just a little bit lower. I think that improves your hookups with something like a drum because he's not having to come up out of the water as much to chase it with his lips. Um, that, to me, is the great way uh, to tune a bait. You know, I suggest, you know, as you guys throw more top water, you start to understand top water better play around with your hooks, you know, you may find that, you know, I like those Gamagatsus, you may find that, well, I don't like a Gamagatsu as much as I like an owner or, or vice versa. We can sit here and talk technical details about hooks for days. Um, just I can't know do that, that. Hey, you know, I've got a bait that I like. I want to maybe get it a little bit deeper. Well, just, you know, upsize the hook and maybe go to a two X or a three X instead of just the factory hooks. Gary, did you say something? I said I can't talk for days about hooks. I can't do that. <laughs> I don't know well, if there's know, that's, anything that's... I can talk about for days, actually. I, but I know it can't be treble hooks on topwaters. But well, let me ask you a question about it. So you're happy with the product out of the package. It's not that the hooks won't work or you don't have confidence in them. But you're saying swapping out the hooks will can improve the hookup ratio by making it sit in the water. And, and I'm seeing some top orders with that silver hook, I guess, right out of the package. And then some you're holding up had that red hook. Is there, yeah, is I, that I strategic? That Daiichi, as a matter of fact, yeah, that was a, a Daiichi and I probably upsized to a two X. Um, yeah, I, I think they're fine out of the water. Um, you know, here's what happens to be. I'm a guide. I could take you in the back room now and just show you a table full of nothing but baits I've got on the table because I'm switching out hooks. So a lot of times, you know, clients on the board, I might pull out the fresh, brand-new bait out of the box and tie it on for them, and we'll fish that. It goes back in my tackle box, and we all know what happens. I'm just as bad as you guys are. You know, I reach for it a week and a half, two weeks later because I'm doing something else, and lo and behold, my hooks are starting to rust. So, you know, what I'll do is I'll carry it home, and I've got a – a bucket that sits next to where I clean my boat and they all go in a bucket, you know, whether it's top orders or MR 17s, you know, even some of the Rapala lug, you know, the skitter walks and the God, I'm trying to think of it, the X wraps and all that stuff, you know, they go in that box. And then what I'll do is when I get a box full, I'll bring them inside to my little, you know, workstation I've got there and I'll change out hooks. And one of the things I may do when I'm doing that is go ahead and change out to a heavier hook. I, I think it helps, but I don't think it helps so much that you've got to sit there and take all your hooks off right off the bat first thing. Does that make any sense? No, man, I follow that 100%. Like, I, that's you know, sort and, of and what that, I that, That's me being a, you know, a, cheap, let's, a cheap charter captain, you know, and you really want your clients to, you know, get on the boat and throw that really pretty bait right off the bat. You know, I mean, that's just, it's got that yellow and gold and it looks so pretty and, you know, that's kind of, Kind of the way I do that is, is, you know, hey, you know, pull them out of the box, throw them for a little while. And then, you know, like everybody else, you end up with those baits that are just beat to hell. And, well, you finally got to, you know, 
retire them, I reckon, or I don't know. I usually, those are the ones I fish with, to be honest with you, is the ones, and I'll have to see if I got one here. Yeah, I've got one here. You know, a little she dog I've got that's starting to get scrapes on it and starting to look off. You know, it's starting to lose all your um, paint on it. That's usually one I get to fish with when I'm by myself. Um, the other thing, well, you know, while we were talking hooks, and I should have mentioned this earlier, all these plugs do so much better with a loop knot. And whether you tie a canoe man's knot or a Rapala knot, both of them I tie, I kind of used to lean towards the canoe man's. I'm leaning more towards the Rapala now. Jump online, find those knots, learn how to tie them. Um, all of these baits, every bait that I've talked about today, in my opinion, works way better with a loop knot. Now, I know some guys say that they don't like loop knots because they feel like they don't have as much control over the bait. I sort of feel like for me personally, it's one of the best things in the world is to have that little loop so you get a little bit more head swing. Just, you know, it may only be, you know, half an inch or an inch, but it's a little bit more head swing because you're working that bait through the water. And to me, a loop knot's the way to go. And again, what I'm saying there is, you know, the canoe man or the Rapala. I was a canoe man fan. I'm kind of coming around more to the Rapala fan. Um, I think, you know, any little knot that you're comfortable tying is the knot to tie. So, um, and we know, Gary, you love to tie knots. And uh, the other thing we're working on here right now is all the baits I've talked about here, all the top dogs and everything, you'll notice that Miralure has two different levels of baits. They have what they call the dogs, and then they have the she-dogs. And what I'm going to talk about here real quick is what I would consider to be the she-dogs. And the she-dogs, to me, are not a finesse bait. Um, they make a racket and they make a racket for a reason. Um, I've got a she dog and then I've got the she pup. The she pup is a 75 MR and the she dog is the 83 MR. And, you know, here's the she pup. And if you listen, and I don't know if I can get that to come into my speaker very well, both of the she pup and the she dog have a higher pitch. And that was for, a reason, you know, the guys at LNS baits, mirror lures, they really kind of said, you know, we need a bait that's good for windy conditions. And the she dogs were really built for those windy conditions when you wanted to make more noise. Um, I would say the she dog, maybe when, you know, there's even more chop on the water than normal. And if there's just chop on the water, I'd probably throw the sheep up. <laughs> you know those baits to me they make a lot of noise the rattle is what they call high frequency it's a little bit more higher pitched and i think it's a great bait for you know another you know you got a windy day we all can't fish when it's bright sunny and the wind's only blowing five knots these are great baits when you need to pull out a bait and make a lot of noise um so i've covered you know what i would consider my search baits and my finesse baits Let's talk about, you know, maybe locating fish and how I use top water to locate fish. Because, again, you know, I said it earlier when I was talking about, you know, like the top dog or maybe the, the top pro senior that or the top pro junior, not the senior. The um, I use it as a lot of search baits when I'm by myself looking fish 
Um, I think it's one of the best ways in the world to find fish. You know, I'm down here at Topsail this time of year. Although we've had some rain, our water's pretty clear. As I work my way north, I get more into that confluence with the new river. My water gets a little bit more stained. I'm not necessarily fishing as much. You know, when I work my way down past Wrights, when I get towards Carolina Beach Inlet and I'm down in the Cape Fear, same scenario. You know, I'm not sight fishing as much. I'm more looking for, hey, you know, water stain. I need to go find fish. What am I going to do? First thing you need to do, Google Maps is your friend. I really don't know what in the world we did before Google Maps. You know, we, Gary and I were joking earlier, uh, I'm probably not the most high-tech guy in the world. I'm fairly high-tech in some ways, but not in others. And, you know, it amazes me still how I can pull up Google Maps and go, oh, wow, I never realized that went that way. Or, hey, how about that? Um, so we're going to sit down. We sit down Google Maps. We find a couple creeks we like. The next thing I'm going to do is I'm going to find, hey, what's my best way to approach this creek? A lot of guys, good or bad, I think they'll pull up to the creek or actually go ahead and pull into the creek, drop the trolling motor or drop the power pole and start fishing. Well, I think they're missing the boat on some things there. I think, you know, sometimes you need to sit and be quiet and just look. Um. I always, unless I know where I am, and, and, you know, that's one of the fortunate things about fishing every day is, you know, I know, okay, the fish aren't holding here in the mouth. But if I don't know where I am, you know, I'm not necessarily going to run in there. I'm going to come in real slow. I'm going to take my top order, and I'm going to hit all the outside points, and I'm going to hit where I may have my slough coming out and coming into a flat. I'm not necessarily worried so much about what I would technically call a flat, you know, you know, the flat spot, you know, in the middle of the creek. I'm more thinking about the edges of the slough, the edges of the grass. Um, a, a good tip, you know, I probably should have covered later, is uh, always when you're throwing to a point, uh, a buddy of mine used to say I was throwing in the living room, and in some ways he's right, is instead of throwing right on top of the point, throw five, six, seven feet past it and work it back to the point. You know, if those fish are holding on the point and using that point as a current break, if you throw your bait right on top of the point, you may spook those fish. Sometimes your bait's going to hit, and the first thing that's going to happen is that fish is going to blow up and hit it. A lot of times that's not the case. A lot of times you're going to move that bait past the point to the point, coming past the point, and that fish is going to turn and follow. And that's what I'm looking for is, you know, yes, I want to catch fish on top water. But again, I'm talking about using this bait as a searching bait. And if I see that fish follow my plug, then I know I've got other fish around. I've got a good chance I've got other fish around. So I'm even going to key in even more and say, okay, wait a minute. I've got this point right here. You know, I'm looking in this creek and there may be two more points down there. Let me kind of quietly work my way to those and work. But don't just rush in and fish you know, kind of sneak your way in and be real quiet and staged about it. Um, if you've taken any of my classes before, you know, I've always said that if you want to find out if you've got drum in a creek, especially in the summertime, late spring, go in the creek, go quiet, drop your power pole first thing in the morning, 
before the sun comes up and just sit there, have your coffee and listen. You know, if there's a school of fish around chasing bait, it's so loud and obvious that you can't miss them. No matter how hard you try, you're going to hear them. Um, you know, I'm looking for those noises. I'm looking for that bait that's scattering down the bank that maybe doesn't look quite right. This time of year, early spring, we're in a disadvantage because a lot of that bait's not quite here yet. Those fish are traveling. They're looking for food, you know, whether it's, you know, small crustaceans, worms, you know, and it may be some of those silver side minnows, or it may be, you know, that mullet that kind of wintered over in a deep hole and it's warmed up and they're kind of working their way out towards the front now as well. But, you know, I want to pay attention to those things. And one of the things, like I said, I want to do is I want to stop early, slow down, pay attention to what's around me and work my way down the points. Now I've looked at my Google map. I've come to the Creek that I wanted to fish. I'm going in real slow. What else am I looking for? Well, the first thing I hit was points, you know, fish are lazy. They're trying to get the most amount of protein they can with the least amount of effort. That's how they survive. You know, they don't necessarily want to go chase a bait for 20 yards because the amount of energy they may expend may not be rewarded by the number of calories they intake. So what I'll do is, you know, kind of just creep in and look. I want to find, hey, they'll sit in those points. And what you'll have with that point is you'll have that current coming around it. And a lot of times, you know, you've got a slack current side and an up current side. And I kind of like to look at where that seam is and maybe work my way into that slack current, that slack current corner. Okay. I'm going to work, you know, from the middle and kind of come into it real slow. A lot of those fish are going to sit in that slack side and they're going to let that current run around the point. And they're going to hit that bait that comes past the point because that bait's coming past the point and it hadn't seen them. The other side is the other side of the point, you know, where you've got the current smashing into the point. Well, a lot of times, although you've got heavy current, which, you know, at tops, we've got heavy current some morning, you know, during moon and all the other good stuff. We'll have that heavy current. That heavy current will come in and hit that point. That fish may be just barely off that point, sitting in a little bit deeper water. And what I'll do is, is, you know, again, I'm throwing past the point, bringing it back to it. Okay. So we talked about points. The other thing we want to probably talk about is let's talk about oyster bars. Um, one of the things, you know, if you've been around here for a long time, you know, we're having kind of an oyster problem. Um, our oysters have been hit real hard by a lot of fishing lately. And a lot of them are getting stomped down and starting to mud over. Um, what happens is those guys get out and pick the oysters, call the oysters right there. They're standing on top of the oyster rock. They push that oyster rock in the mud. Those oysters can't open up and breathe and filter water like they should. They start to die off. As they die off, there's no more mama oysters making baby spat. What's called, you know, the little egg, the little spat. There's no, you know, mama oysters, daddy oysters making those. It's, you know, all of a sudden they get covered in grass and we're starting to lose some of our oyster bottom. Like, you know, at least, you know, maybe 15, 20 years where we had lots and lots of it. Even though those oysters aren't alive anymore, they still will hold fish and I'll stop at them. Um, I want to find 
And you could do this looking at Google. You know, you're going on, it's just white, sandy, white, sandy, and all of a sudden you've got these little dark patches kind of working its way in. Well, I'm going to work into those as well, and I'm going to look around those oyster points, and not oyster points, oyster beds. And the reason why I'm looking in those beds is those beds hold heat, especially early spring. Not only do those beds hold heat, they also hold a lot of little teeny crustaceans, mud crabs, pistol shrimp, um, and they hold you know a lot of smaller bait fish. And it might be enough, a little bait there that's really kind of subtle, you know, you'd have to kind of get out of the boat and look at it to see it. But it's enough there that it may, you know, kind of at least have those fish come by and pay attention there. Um, so we've talked about points. We've talked about oyster bars. You know, really the other thing to talk about is the tide and migration of the fish in and out. Um, there are fish, especially in the summertime, uh, you know, unfortunately now we've reached a population where everybody and their brother wants to catch a puppy drum. And so especially in the summertime on a dead low tide, you're going to have some fish that are pushed way, way, way in the back that nobody can get to. Um, a lot of times, <coughs> excuse me. A lot of times though, what you'll have is those fish are going to work deeper in the marsh on a rising tide. And they're going to work out of the marsh on a falling tide. You know, one of the reasons they're doing that is if you go and do like I do, sit in the morning and have your coffee before the sun comes up and, and listen and use your ears and your, some of your other senses, you'll see that the bait does that. The bait goes in, the bait goes out. The bait goes in. Well, you know, the predator fish are looking for the bait. And, you know, the one true thing I'll say and probably my one concrete rule that i have is find the bait find the fish and um so you know the tide comes in those fish are going to go in because it gives them more areas to look for food tide falls those fish are going to fall out of some of that real skinny stuff especially when it's colder and when it's really hot because you know august september that water temperature in the back marsh will get really hot and those fish will kind of fall back down into some deeper water you know, it may not make that much sense to you, but really cold-blooded animal, that one or two degrees really makes a difference. So that's kind of all my covering there. You know, we've talked about a lot of stuff. I feel like I've just shot so much stuff at you about, you know, all these numbers about topwater baits and everything. Gary, what haven't I covered? Man, I think we're, I think you've done a good job. Like, I think, you know, letting us know what to have on the boat and, and not just what to have on the boat, but the purpose behind it, you know, smart, good preparation. Um, I think that key, though, I, I think for me, if I'm imagining my audience, it's like, well, what do I target? You know, where do I go? And I, I like that you hit points. I like that you hit oyster bars, you know, um, I think we're I think we're at the point where you should sort of wrap up with like your final thoughts on this topwater approach to red drum. And well, yeah, what I, I want my, you to my... do with this is I want you to think of I want you to think of that basic angler. I mean, I think you've given a lot of insightful information for someone who just wants to improve on their topwater skills. But think about that, you know, if you can condense, think of that basic angler that just wants to get introduced into the top water. They're finally going to throw it. They're not just going to rely on the soft plastic once they get out there. You know, give them, you know, your final thoughts on, hey, 
this is what you're looking for. This is your best chance for success. I think if I was a beginning angler and I did not throw a lot of top water baits, I would go get my standard Carolina rig with cut mullet, cut crab, whatever live bait you want to use, mullet, mud minnows, whatever. And I'd set out my Carolina rigs like I always did. And while I'm watching my Carolina rigs, I'd throw a top water. And the reason for that is, is that, you know, if you get a strike on bait, well, you know, fish are there. If you, you know, and it lets you fish with a little bit more confidence. You know, a lot of artificial bait, it's not so much about whether it works. I can promise you it works. You know, when all of us guides get together, it's very, very rare that somebody pulls out some cut bait or live bait. We're all artificial guys to begin with. I can promise you artificial works. A lot of times, though, you've got to have the confidence in that artificial to really kind of use it correctly or at least have enough faith in it to fish it. Um, so what I'd, you know, hey, keep doing what you're doing. Throw that top water a little bit. Understand. Get comfortable throwing that top water. You know, there's so many other things out there you can see, so many other videos that will actually take you on the water, you know, maybe show you methods for working that top water. Like I said, for me, it's a real short twitch of the rod, you know, real slow reel, tip, 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 reel in, tip, 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 reel in. That's kind of where the way I feel about it. Um, go fish them. Uh, you know, I said at the beginning of this, the reason I throw top water is because it's fun. There is no – you can't have any more fun catching drum than catching drum on top water. And I've been very fortunate, and I've caught some really big drum. And I've caught, you know, a lot of drum. But really and truly, the only way you really have fun with these things is that top water bite is probably why, you know, a lot of people get hooked and fish for those fish because it's just so cool to see. Um, I'm a soft plastic guy. I throw a lot of soft plastics with my charters. I personally throw a lot of soft plastics. Um, that could be a whole nother hour or two if you want to really start diving into what I think about this soft plastic and that soft plastic. But, you know, it's still not as fun as watching that fish come up out of the water and smack that bait. And that's what makes top water so much fun. And, that's why you see all of us guides out when we're by ourselves. Chances are we're throwing top water. Well, man, I tell you what, I know you're, we're, we're, we've already talked about bringing you back at a later time in the calendar year. And this is usually the point in the uh, point in our feature where I like to talk to the guide or let the guide tell a little bit of self-promotion. So what I would like you to do now is I'd like you to do two things. I'd like you to sort of quickly review what you're targeting through the calendar year in case someone is interested in booking you, they know the different options because I know you're more than a red drum guide. So quickly walk us through the calendar year, the different options of what you have to put your your clients on, and then tell everyone the best way to keep in touch with you, reach out to you, book you, you know, follow you on social media. Okay. Uh, you know, this time of year we're starting off right now. We're in Bonita season. Uh, it's early. It's April 15th, and we've been catching Bonita for just about a month. Um, traditionally, we always said, hey, is a festival weekends when the Bonita should show up? Well, guess what? They were early this year. Um, I'll start off Bonita fishing, uh, usually followed by the Bonita. We'll start to get the really big Spanish that'll come in. You know, that first 
wave of Spanish are pretty big. Um, we'll start doing some of that. And then we'll, you know, we'll start working our way, doing some inshore trips. You know, we've been doing trout during the spring. Now we're kind of getting into more of our summer. I won't call it summer, kind of early spring, summer kind of, you know, fishing. Uh, we'll do, you know, like I said, we'll do the large Spanish mackerel. You know, and then we may go into the king mackerel because I, I certainly like king mackerel fishing. Uh, I know I'm an inshore guy in some ways, but I, I really like to, you know, fish for king every once in a while. It really depends on my clients. You know, usually for me, June, July, August, I have a lot of what I call my mom, dad, and the kids trips. And for us, that may be, you know, introducing junior to fishing. And it may not be that in that scenario, I want to go do something super technical with him. Um, so we will do Spanish fishing. You know, we'll go off the beach, maybe catch some trigger fish, some snapper, you know, that kind of stuff. I love my flounder fishing. Um, this year, it's going to be a little different. You know, normally for me, towards the middle of June, June, we're starting to see more flounder. July, August, we're really starting to see flounder. This year, they're not going to open it up, from what I understand right now, until probably first of August, middle of August. So, you know, that's going to take that July flounder fishing out. But, you know, there's still a lot of other things to do. You know, we didn't talk about cobia. That's more of a spring thing. Um, and then, you know, as we go into September, then I personally, I'm more, you know, then I'm really getting kind of serious about my drum. And as Gary would tell you, you know, October, November, December, with the exception of, you know, the little albacore run that we get, um, you know, to me, that's drum and trout season. I, I think there's nothing better than, you know, trout fishing in, in, in the fall. Um, it's what really gets my heart going is to, you know, go trout fishing, you know, that first really good cold day in late September, October, first of October, you know, that's, that's, that's the fun time of year, really. And truly in the time that, you know, we're lucky to live here. It's a great time of year to be here. Um, how do we stay in touch with you? How does everyone else stay in touch with you? Uh, you know, really the easy way you could go look, uh, native sun guide service on Facebook, or you can go look at my website, uh, com. And, uh, you know, there's usually a link there in my uh, website that will take you to my Facebook and my Instagram and Twitter and all that other good stuff. Mike, thank you so much for joining us today. It was a pleasure to have you on talking about Topwaters. I mean, I have enjoyed fishing with you through the years, and it's fun to have this chapter of our relationship getting on talking about Topwaters. And, again, we're going to bring you back later in the calendar year. But for now, man, thank you for all your insights on early season redfish on Topwaters. Thank you, Gary. I enjoyed it. I sure did have a good time. I hope you guys have a good day. Right on. Are you too, man. Thank you so much, Mike. Bye, Billy. Good show, man. Billy, that show tested every bit of my skill as an interviewer. I don't. I tried everything <laughs> I could do to get that guy to open up and talk, but he couldn't do it. He man. was oh. just type lipped. He's like, well, a, the only problem. The only problem I had is, is that he's I still talking. Crazy. He's back. He's still talking. <laughs> I think maybe I got a little bit too detailed there at some point in time. No, you're good, man. Hey, we're still wrapping up the show. We'll talk to you here in a second, Mike. Uh, so, anyway. We're going to have a quiz for Billy on Miralores. Uh, number 52 is orange. Man, that Those was great. Colors are a whole different ballgame. No. He's still talking. 
that's good, man. Well, uh, okay. So before we uh, wrap, wrap us up, up. I'm going to wrap you up here. Uh, so I want to give a shout out to our sponsor for this episode. Once again, is Seato. So uh, you can get in touch with those guys if you're out there in the water. Something goes wrong. These guys will come rescue you. Uh, and check out Seato uh, Scott on Instagram and tell him the guys over Fisherman Post sent you. And also wanted to just remind you how to get in touch with, with us and with the podcast. Go to fishpost.com or fishermanspost.com is one way. Go to the little podcast tab. Also, check us out on YouTube, Instagram, uh, Facebook, Twitter, anywhere on social media. Just look up Fisherman's Post, uh, and uh, our YouTube is Fish Post Media. And be sure to like, subscribe, rate, review, all those good, fun things that you can do on social media and to keep up with us. So, yeah, Gary, I mean, that's uh, that's basically it right there. Yeah, man, I'll, I want to give a... I want to give a thank you to a good friend, Brian Weeks. Brian Weeks is responsible for that catchy theme song that oh, yeah, we started good. this episode with that I believe we'll be starting our episodes with. And uh, a good friend, he offered that up. I think it's only going to cost us a couple thousand bucks. But, hey, man, I think that's, <laughs> I think that's money well spent, well invested. Uh, in saying that, a couple thousand bucks, I'm going to need a couple sponsors. You guys just call me. <laughs> Perfect time to be a part of the podcast <laughs> if that's going to cost me two grand. Billy, thank you, man. Awesome, man. Well, speaking of that good music, I'm going to pull it again as we're on our way out. Fish and